Jesus, I thought of this as we were praying before the service, and I just, it's just sitting with me, so I'm just going to say this simple prayer that Peter told you as crowds were leaving. I believe it was in John 7 where crowds are leaving. You're saying some hard things, and people are walking away from you, and you turn to your disciples, and you said, are you going to walk away too? And Peter, man, I love Peter. This guy who is prone to put his foot in his mouth and also say the most prophetic, powerful things a human being could think of. When you said to the disciples, are you going to walk, walk away? Or are you going to run away too? Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, where else are we going to go? For you have the words of eternal life. In you are the words of the life of the ages. In you is life. Where else are we going to go? So we just tell you, Jesus, here we are. Would you speak the words of eternal life? And I don't have them, but you do, Jesus. So speak in any fashion that you want. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this word that scientists use to describe things falling apart. It's this word that that scientists use. If you're on Facebook Live, feel free to comment and try to guess what this word is. It's a word, again, that scientists use to describe the process in which things just gradually fall apart. Are there any sciencey people in the crowd who know the word I'm talking about? You'll have to say it loud through your mask. Anybody? Disintegrate? That's a, that's a, that's a word about things falling apart. That's not the word I'm thinking of. Marsha. Entropy, Marsha. Thank you very much. Entropy is this word that scientists use to describe this process in which material objects basically just gradually fall apart. Now, if there's any MSOE students in here or uh, science, science lovers or even science students, you'll be laughing at me for my very simplistic way of describing entropy. I, it's, what do you expect? I'm a pastor. But it kind of feels like entropy is happening in our world right now, doesn't it? It feels like our world is a bit of a pressure cooker right now. Have you had this experience? Do you know what I'm talking about? Just this week, last week we did this beautiful service. I was so energized and blessed immensely, just enriched by this time we had with many other churches and many other uh, believers around the city, a moment of solidarity and unity in the church. I was just so uplifted. And then hours later, Jacob Blake is shot and all those warm fuzzies just get ripped apart. And then you have the week of dealing with that, the next day of social media posts and arguing. And then you have this vigilante who kills two people in the streets of Kenosha, injures another. And you have even more arguing and bitterness and anger because of it. And then you have Democratic National Convention last week and Republican National Convention this week. And then you have the anger and the, the arguing that results because of all of that. It feels in many ways, 
like we're living in a pressure cooker, like we're living in this time where, where we're just holding on by a thread in some ways, doesn't it? It feels like this idea or this principle of entropy, of things falling apart, it feels like 2020 is exhibit A for entropy. Things that we took as a given, as normal life, are just beginning to fall apart and disintegrate. This morning, I'm glad that you're here this morning, because, and I'm glad you tuned in and logged in online, because the Apostle John, in the book of 1 John, has a word for us. The Apostle John has a word for us that is going to actually tell us that entropy is not the main reality of the world that we live in, that everything is actually, something is holding our world together, even though it doesn't really feel like that right now. The Apostle John is going to have this beautiful word for us. And it's not just beautiful, it's not just encouraging, it's going to be challenging as well, which all beautiful and good and godly things are. It's going to challenge us, and it's going to call us into a different way of living, particularly in 2020. This morning, we, we're going to be, I'm going to be, be basically preaching two sermons in one. It's 1028. We got a good start. Thank you, Ian, for, for being nice and concise. I've got a good 30, let's, let's, let's call it 37 minutes to, 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 to speak two sermons in one. I've got to do two sermons in one. We, we planned this sermon series out in early summer, and then all of a sudden the Day of Solidarity and Unity was going to happen, and I wanted to be part of it, so we said, yes, we'll do it. So we lost a week there, and then we're doing this new sermon series. We lost a week there. So I've got to do two sermons in one. Are you ready for it? I suggest you take notes in case you want to actually retain anything that's coming out of my mouth in the next 37 minutes. Let's go. First John, we're going to start in, verse, in chapter 3. Now, two weeks ago, I gave our beloved elder Ian 10 verses I asked him to preach about, and all he could, find, do, all he could do was preach on three of them. Thank you, Ian. Skipped over the rest. I've got a chapter and a half. I'm going to try my best to highlight most of it. I am saying this just just to put a thumb in the nose of our quote-unquote Bible guy, Ian Benson. For those of you online, Ian is shaking his head in a very condescending way. I love you, Ian. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. John says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You guys are nodding your heads. I like that. It tells me that you're taking in the reality of what John's saying right here, which is this is the thesis statement for everything that's about to follow. When I, my boys are in what grades? I don't even know what grades they're in anymore. Sheesh, this is 2020. It's like I think they're in like third, fifth, and sixth grade. In my wife, I don't even remember what grades our kids are. Um, but we get them to try to write. Read, what, read for 30 minutes and then write about what you just learned or write something about what's happening in the world or what's happening in your world. And what I'm trying to get them to do is remember a thesis statement. Start out your paragraph with a thesis statement and then explain the thesis statement. It's very simple. But I got to teach my boys this over and over again because they just want to write a bunch of nothing. 
John here wrote a thesis statement. This is what he's going to be unpacking in the whole rest of the text. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Whenever you're reading in 1 John, you should also be thinking about the gospel of John. Because it's the same person who wrote it who's operating out of the same theology. And so you should hear echoes of Jesus in the gospel of John as 1 John is being read. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. This is exactly what Ian was talking about this earlier. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, we, we, we Christians, we like to take this and say that it's us against the world when we read verses like this, right? Keep in mind the context that John was speaking to a church in which there was a group within this church who separated, who, who, who didn't believe that Jesus was actually incarnate, that Jesus came in the flesh, and who didn't believe that actually our the sin matters and that loving one another matters. And so when he talks about the world, he's talking about these group, this group of secessionists. Are you still with me? He's talking about, he's associating this group with this group who left the church with the world. When he talks about the world, he's talking about this group of separated church, the secessionists. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. How do you know if you've passed from death to life? How do you know if you have the, the life of the ages, the eternal life within you? John said, here's a litmus test. If you love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life resting in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, he's talking about how to love. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but in, with actions and in truth. See, for John, words didn't matter very much for John. If you remember from several weeks ago, John said that basically this, that it doesn't matter what you say you believe, it matters what you do. How you live and your actions will tell you, tell the world around you what you really believe. See, you can say you believe in Jesus, but if you don't live like Jesus, we can all doubt whether you actually do believe in the way of Jesus. And so here John said, if you say you're a loving person, that means zero, zilch, nothing. You can say you're a loving person all you want, but if you aren't actually, if you don't live in the way of love, it doesn't mean anything. John is a very simple person. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence if our hearts condemn us. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God's, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence with God, before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the, his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now this is one of those verses where it says, John says, 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything that we ask because we keep his commandments and do what it pleases him. This is one of those verses where we say, whoa, that's kind of cool. If I believe in God and do what he asks me to, he'll give me anything I ask. We easily enter into this quid pro quo way of living of, God, I'm going to give you all that you ask of me, and then I'm going to expect you to give me all that I ask of you. And then we say, well, the scripture says it right here that you give me everything I ask. So you remember the thesis statement, though. John's thesis is that we should love one another, and he's explaining what that looks like and how that lives out practically. And when John says he'll give us anything we ask, he's still operating with this thesis statement in mind that we should love one another. And so if we're loving one another and we're living out this way of love in action and in truth like John's talking about, the, what, the things that we ask for are not going to be these socially or selfishly motivated things that are going to satisfy me and my world. See, we're going to actually be living in the way of Christ, living in the way of love, and the things that we ask for are going to change. The things that we ask for are going to be motivated by agape love. The things that we ask for aren't going to be motivated by me and my own world. The things that I ask for are going to be motivated by you and what you need. The things that I ask for are going to be, be motivated by what this world around me needs so desperately. I'm going to be so compelled and in love with the people around me that the things that I ask for in my prayer life is going to change. And John said, in that vein, just keep on asking because he loves to answer those prayers. So John goes into this, this discussion about what it looks like to be a Christian in the world. He's talking in the late first century, but he could be talking in 2020. And when we think about what does it mean, what does it look like, what does it mean to follow Christ in this world? Let me just ask you, let's turn off the fact that we just read 1 John 3. I've got allergies and I'm trying not to sneeze right now, I'm sorry. If I were to ask you, if a person was going to come up to you and ask you who knew nothing about Jesus, knew nothing about the way of Christ, knew nothing about the Bible or the church, and they said, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say? What does it mean to be a Christian? What, you, you say that you follow Christ. You're a Christ follower. You say you're a Christian. That's your faith. What does that mean for your life? What does it mean? If, if I were to say yes to Jesus, would it me, what, 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 what does that mean? Now, most of us would probably, you're, you're trying to assemble your thoughts and you're trying to keep it concise, right? And you, you want to start with Jesus and faith in Christ. And then you want to walk out what it means to be a disciple. Did, you, did anyone have that word discipleship in, in your mind? I hope so. Anyway, what it means to be a disciple, you follow in the way of Jesus, you, you live like this, you, you, you do these things, you don't do other things, you, you, you live like this, you, maybe you vote certain ways. Some of us were deep down would think, right? There'd be this laundry list for most of us, bullet points, 
with headings and subheadings of, of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a Christian. John didn't have a list if, when he was telling people what it meant to follow Christ, what it meant to be a Christian. John didn't have a list. John had one word. John didn't have headings and subheadings and, and he didn't have this really long multiple page thesis of what it looks like and what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ. John had one word. Love. You want to know what it looks like to be a Christian? It looks like living in the way of love. Yes. Uh, keep going, John. No, that, that's, that's it. Following Christ looks like living in the way of love. That's the beginning and that's the end. If you want to know whether you're in the way of life or you're in the way of death, do you live in the way of love? What else? I, I thought, John, there was all sorts of doctrines that I had to believe and understand. I thought that I had to, to, to get all of the small catechism memorized. I was a good Lutheran. I memorized the small and large catechism. That, was, that sucked. I thought, John, I had to get all of this this scriptural, the systematic theology. I had to get it right. I have to dot all my I's and cross all my T's. I thought that I have to get, uh, get the affiliated with the right denomination, with the right theology. I got to know all the things in order to follow Christ. And John would say, see, following Jesus just looks like living in the way of love. And now when I say that, that means less to us than it would have meant to a first century person in Asia Minor. See, because the Greek language, the Greeks were smart enough to have four words for this one word that we have called love. When we think of love, we think of rom-coms and Hallmark cards. We think of Valentine's Day. When we think of love, we think of emotions and feelings and things swirling about See, the Greeks had four words for love. Eros, philia, storge, and agape. Four words that meant all, all four of those meant different things. I don't have time to go into what all four of those meant. Most of us know what some of them mean. The storge one is different, but this, there's four words for love. And in the book of 1 John, in 1 John 3 and in 1 John 4, you only see one of those words mentioned over and over and over and over again. He doesn't mix and match. It's just agape, 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 agape. You want to know what it looks like to walk in the way of Christ? You want to know what it looks like to live in the way of life? It looks like agape love. You want to know what it looks like to, to you want to know if you're actually following in the way of Christ? Are you living in the way of agape love? Now, what is agape love? Let's let John define what agape love looks like. We're going to skip over, sorry Ian, we're going to skip over the first six verses of four, chapter 4, and we're going to go into 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. John says this, Dear friends, let us agape one another, let us love one another, for agape love comes from God. 
Anyone, every, every time he says love, it's agape. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Are you listening to how John defines agape love? He's explaining it for us right there. He's defining it. This is agape love, not that we loved God, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's just a one for one for John. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, I don't have time to really go into that, but I can't not stop there. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That means, friends, that God's love is somehow incomplete unless we love, choose to love one another. Do you see that? God's love is made complete, John says, when we love one another. That is a scandalous statement. That God's love, the way, the richness of God's love is so big and wide and deep and vast and unknowable that God's love is actually incomplete until his sons and daughters, his created, his created beloved, when we love one another, we actually complete the cycle of God's divine agape love. That is incredible. That means that when you're helping your friends with their children, you're completing God's love right there. That means that when you actually stop your car and engage with this person who might be asking for money or who might, who might need something, you see a person in need, you're actually completing the divine agape love. That means when you choose to show up for somebody when it's inconvenient for you, you're actually completing divine love. That's God's love finding its fullness and richness in you living in love. This is some incredible stuff here. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. This is just for John, this is just simple math. If you want to know if God lives in you and you live in God, here's what it is. He has given us his spirit and, if, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Let me say it again, John says. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I, there's no asterisks here. John is just telling you what it looks like to follow Jesus. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how, we lo how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It means that what John is saying there is that 
he's talking to a religious group of people who's been motivated by the fear of judgment, the fear of getting punished by God. And John's saying you don't have to live like that anymore if you're living in the love of God. See, because you know that you've received the love of God, you don't have to live in the fear of punishment anymore. This is what perfect love looks like. It drives out fear, actually. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now I would submit to you, friends, that if 1 John 3 and 4 were not canonized by the church fathers, if, this, if, if what John said here almost 2,000 years ago was not made officially the word of God and we were able to forget about it, we never read it, I would submit to you that if this wasn't the word of God and some church leader or preacher or pastor came up and said these things, that would be seen as a heretic. Think with me for a little bit. Think of what John was just saying, what we just heard John say. You can go back and read it as I'm talking if you want. I, would, I, I, I think fully that if some church leader came up and said these things without the word of God backing them up, most of the church would kick them out as a, as a liberal hippie who focuses too much on love and not enough on truth. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? This is, John is speaking some bold things here, saying everything depends on agape love. If you live in agape love, you live in Christ. No asterisks. If you want to know if you follow Christ, I'm going to ask you, do you live in the way of agape love? And agape love looks like it's different than the love that we have. Agape love is 100% unconditional. When, when two people are thinking about getting married, what you're silently doing in the background, whenever you're thinking about, well, is this the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? You have these box, you have this, this checklist, and you're trying to assess whether or not that person checks enough boxes for you to say yes to them. Do you know what I'm talking about? If any of you have been married or are married or have been married, you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're trying to assess, is this person, do, do they fit? Do they check enough boxes? I know no one's probably going to check all the boxes. Some people think that. They're completely deluded. Do, do, they, do they check enough boxes to say yes to this person? Will my life be mostly good if I say yes to this person? That's not agape love. When we're assessing whether or not to get married to a person, that's not agape love. That's very conditional love. What can this person do for me? Do they check enough of the boxes to make me happy that my life is not going to be miserable? Agape love has no checklist. Agape love has no boxes to check. It just loves. Just chooses love no matter if you check, if you check the boxes, if you, if you fit the test, if you pass the quiz. It has no tests. It has no quizzes. It just says yes to love. That's agape love. Agape love is 100% unconditional. Agape love is 100% self-sacrificial. 
John was trying to spell it out when he said, this is what love looks like. See, for too many of us, this is the same guy, by the way, who said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to, to save the world from their sins. John is that same guy, and he says, this is what love looks like. It looks like having a rebellious, broken group of human beings who want nothing to do with you, and yet you still choose to love them. Love looks like having a group of people who want nothing to do with you and yet you still choose to give yourself up for them. You choose to, to sacrifice everything for them. That's what agape love looks like. It's 100% unconditional. It's 100% self-sacrificial and this is what it looks like to live in Christ, John said. This is what it looks like to, to, to be a Christian, a Christ follower. When, we said, when I said, do you have this laundry list of what it means to be a Christian? For so many of us, we have this laundry list, and it seems complicated and it seems hard, but actually it's kind of formulaic and it gets really easy when you have this laundry list, this checklist of things to do and to live like. What's way more difficult is to live in the way of agape love, to live in the way of unconditional, self-sacrificial love, to live in that kind of way, that takes some fortitude. Agape love for the early church looked like loving the people around them in scandalous ways, and in particular, the marginalized. In particular, the marginalized. Now, I'm not just saying this as some left-wing liberal hippie who likes talking about the marginalized. I'm just talking to you about the way that, that I'm just talking to you about church history. Let's not just lean on John. There was this other church leader, church father, one of the main church fathers. His name was Ignatius. Ignatius was this church father right after John, and Ignatius wrote to churches. He, Ignatius was the bishop of Antioch in about the year 107, which means about 10 to 15 years after John was writing his letters to the churches in Asia Minor, Ignatius was writing the similar churches. And he was talking about a group of people that many believe were the exact same group of people that John was addressing, talking about these secessionists who didn't, who didn't think, believe that Jesus came in the flesh, who didn't think that love mattered, who didn't think that how we live mattered, and John was addressing them. And Ignatius, about 10 to 15 years after, was addressing the same thing. And he said this, we have this in Ignatius' writings. For love, as to love, Ignatius says, this group of people, they have no care, none for the widow, None for the orphan, none for the distressed, none for the afflicted, none for the prisoner or for him released from prison. They have no care for the hungry and no care for the thirsty. See, for the Apostle John and for St. Ignatius, it was just a given that if you're walking in the way of agape love, you're loving the marginalized. Let me read that again. This is what love looked like for St. Ignatius. As to love, these people have no care, none for the widow, none for the orphan, none for the distressed, none for the afflicted, none for the prisoner or for them released from prison, none for the hungry or the thirsty. The early church, friends, was made up. It didn't just feature a few marginalized people peppered in here and there. The early church was full of marginalized people. Slaves were just flocking to the early church. Women were given places of honor in the early church. 
Gentiles who were seen as dirty and unclean and unincluded were were part of the early church and part, part of the places of honor. The marginalized was just a normal thing to find marginalized people in the early church. As a matter of fact, the early church would come back to the church in America in 2020 and be like, where's all the marginalized people? You guys all look alike. What's going on here? Are you walking in the way of agape love? Do you know what agape love looks like? Because agape love, Ignatius said, and John said, looks like loving and caring for the marginalized. Are we, could we check that one box like the Apostle John said? This is what it looks like to follow Christ, living in the way of agape love. thinking about the afflicted and distressed in our world and in our day. Okay, that's sermon one. Got it? Really feel decent sermon. Maybe it was kind of a little disjointed, but it was all right. Sermon two would be thinking about this scandalous phrase that John said a couple of times in 1 John 4. We've been going for a half hour and we haven't even hit on, this one, on these three words that, again, I think would get John painted as a heretic in today's church. Three words that he says twice that I think we have given, given such a disservice to because we put an asterisk on it or we marginalize it in the text of Scripture. Three words that are so scandalous but also so powerful and have so much potential that we don't even know it. Three words that scare some of us. God is love. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Apostle John. And friends, I have heard pastor, preacher after preacher after preacher try to, try to write these three words off. I have seen so many followers of Christ try to excuse and, and, and marginalize these words as much as possible because they don't fit with modern Christianity's theology. This idea that God is agape, God is love, is scandalous. And I think John, for, for those pastors and preachers and Christians who, who want to wash these words and say, oh, that's, 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 that has no truth behind it, that's not real, the Apostle John would say, you think you know Jesus, huh? You think you've got a handle on this guy, Jesus. See, I, I was Jesus' closest friend. I walked mile upon mile upon mile with Jesus. Do you know what it's like to, to take long journeys with somebody? To go on a road trip with somebody? You get to know that person inside and out. John would say, I, that's, that's, that's how I lived for a couple of years of my life. I laid down alongside Jesus. I heard him snore. I shared 
more conversations, rich conversations over good food and good wine than I can remember with Jesus. I knew Jesus' opinions. I knew, I watched him interact with people. I watched the way he treated people. I watched the way he interacted with and treated the people that no one else wanted anything to do with. You think you know Jesus? That was my life. And here's what I can tell you about God because of my time with Jesus. God is love. That's my takeaway. God is agape love. God is 100% unconditional love. If you wanted to know what God is like, if you want to try to explain what God is like or who God is to somebody who's asking, three words. God is is love. Can we just let those three words sit upon us? As you think of this chaotic world that seems either pressurized or like it's falling apart, as you think about social media, as you think about a, a bitter ugly election season. John's giving us a reminder. God is love. And if you want to walk in the way of Christ, you're going to walk in the way of agape love. Now we started out this message, I started out talking about entropy. The scientific E word, entropy, things falling apart gradually over time. Let's finish with this other scientific E word, called entanglement. Entanglement. Quantum physicists have studied and, and experimented and are fascinated by this concept called quantum entanglement. Go check it out. There's YouTube videos trying to explain it. Quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement is the word that, that is an idea for something that, that Albert Einstein and his students in the 30s theorized about. Quantum entanglement, this idea that particles are entangled, are, are related to one another, affect one another. Einstein thought it was craziness. He talked about it with his students, and then he wrote it off. He called it actually spooky action from a distance. That's what Einstein called quantum entanglement, spooky action from a distance. And what quantum entanglement meant, means, Einstein thought it was silliness, but a physicist named John Bell proved it is that if you have two particles that have interacted in any way over the course of their lives, if you have, if you have two particles, and you take one particle, one uh, particle, and you put it on my podium here, and then you take the other particle, and you put it as far away as you can imagine. Let's just say you put it on the moon, or let's say you put it on Mars. You have one particle on, on the podium in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You have another particle in Mars. Quantum entanglement means that if you flip this one particle down, the other immediately gets flipped up. They're related to one another. They're connected. And it doesn't matter how far you separate these two particles, they are forever connected and related to one another. What you do to one particle immediately affects the other one. Quantum physicists have no idea how or why this happens. It happens faster than the speed of light. 
But these particles, any particle in our world, in the universe, that's encountered one another are connected. And no matter how far you separate them, they're related to one another innately. And physicists believe that this doesn't just happen on a molecular level. They think this is just the way the world, the universe, works. That all of matter, all of energy is actually connected to one another. Quantum entanglement. We are entangled and enmeshed with one another. And see, the fun thing, this is why it's such a tragic thing that the church is so scared of science. Because actually, when you actually look at science, the stuff that they're discovering right now actually proves some theological things that we find in our scriptures. Quantum entanglement means, friends, that God is love. Because if God is love, that means that God, what gave birth to all of creation is this divine explosion of love. And the world has been work, the universe has been working out ever since then. What, what this means, if God is love, that means that divine love is written into the DNA of every single person that has lived and is alive right now. Every single person, whether you agree with them on Facebook or not. Whether that's that member of your family that you really can't, you're kind of excited that maybe COVID makes it so that we can't be with each other at Thanksgiving. You know that family member? The reality that God is love means that they have, that family member has divine love written onto their DNA. Quantum entanglement is showing us that we are all connected and so instead of entropy, things falling apart, maybe the reason that everything hurts so bad right now? This has been a painful week. It's been a painful month. It's been a painful six months. So many divisions. So much bitterness. I found myself saying, how do I pastor in a time like this? How do we lead a church in a time like this? In a time with so much anger, so much bitterness, so much, all of it. Friends, maybe it's not entropy that's happening, things falling apart. Maybe the reason that, this, that our world hurts so bad right now, maybe the reason that it's so painful to be a human being is quantum entanglement because we are all connected. And so what happens to you affects me. What happens to a black man in Kenosha affects me. What happens to white supremacists affects me. What happens to my family member that I don't want anything to do with that affects me. What happens to people that I've never met in my life affects me. Maybe the pain of what we're feeling is this beautiful thing called agape love that's woven into the fabric of the universe, into our very DNA. And, be, and so many in our world are hurting right now, so it hurts us so bad. And we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to process it. But it's actually all you have to do to process what's happening in our world right now is just to give in to agape love. To stop believing the lie that we can identify people by, 
as conservatives or liberals, Democrat or Republican, Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter. We can just put all that garbage to the side, and not that it doesn't matter, because it does matter, but we can identify the reality that whether or not I agree with you, I'm connected to you. In a world of soapboxes, in a world where it feels like chaos is taking over, the reality, friends, the beauty The reason that it hurts so bad is because we are all connected. We are literally all in this together because of divine love that's been written into the fabric of the universe. It holds the universe and the cosmos together. And we can either try to fight against it, which is what I see so much of is trying to fight against this connectivity, this entanglement, this divine love, or we can actually choose to agree with it and live into it and watch what happens when you do that. When you start operating online in light of agape love, watch what happens to your heart. Watch what happens. And see, because we're all connected, when I choose to live in agape love, it actually affects the people around me. When I choose to live in agape love and to choose agape love over bitterness and division, it actually is going to affect and send ripple effects through the universe and through, through, through our reality. It's going to change things. We have so much division, but if God's people actually chose the way of agape love, our world, our reality would change. God is love and the universe has this divine agape love written on it and it's, even though it hurts right now, it's going to be our redemption. See, agape love is a force that nothing can stand against, even 2020. Agape love, the reality that God is love, is a force that nothing can stand against. And so we can actually just take some deep breaths and realize that 2020 isn't too big for this God who is agape love. We can realize, take some deep breaths, that we will make it through this election, no matter who does or doesn't get elected, because the world is held together by and sustained by divine agape love that no politician, no person can stand against. No politician, no person, no movement will stand up and defeat agape love. It's just the way of the cosmos, it's the way of the universe, and it's the way of Christ that he's calling us to live into. The question is, how now will we respond to this? Will we continue in our bitterness and hatred and separation, divisions? Or will we be ones who scandalously and radically live in this way of the God who is love? Let's end our time together by worshiping together. So if you want to, you can stand with me. God who is agape love. Father, Son, Spirit, this relationship that constitutes this divine love that just had to be shared at the beginning of time. That will not accept no for an answer. That will not be thwarted. This love that is God who will not be thwarted by evil, by sin, by demonic activity, by politics, by racism, by bitterness, by anger, by separation, by, by anything that this world can throw at you. This And this alone gives me hope right now. 
that there's nothing happening in our world that can stand up against agape love. That all of it will melt in the end. All of the chaos will be stilled. All of the hatred will die. All of the judgmentalism will evaporate when it stands before divine agape love who is Jesus. And so we just speak that life and that love and that light into this world. As we worship, we radically and prophetically proclaim a new reality in the world around us in Jesus' name. As we worship now and sing these words, we prophetically proclaim a different way for humanity. It's new creation. And it will not be stopped. As we live our lives, we continue to worship and live in this way of agape love. And so Jesus, would you just receive this worship now? And would we, as we church sing it, whether you're at home on your patio, at your vacation pl- place, or you're in person here, as we speak and sing these words out, know that you're speaking and singing a different reality into the world around you. And then we get to live it out. So we just worship as your body, your sons and daughters, Jesus.